0: See, some of y'all are thankful because you're trying to figure out why you got a handkerchief. And some of y'all are like, whoo, I need it right now. Wipe the sweat. But that ain't why you got it. What I want you to do, I want you to take that handkerchief and I want you to fold it up. Everybody fold it. And if you don't know how to fold it, somebody next to you, I promise you, can teach you. Take it and fold it. Sit it to the side. Set it on your legs, set it beside you, just set it and we'll come back to it. But it's important that you fold it and set it aside. Fold it and set it aside. Somebody say, fold it and set it aside. How many believes that today is the greatest day? We remember the greatest day in the history of the world. It's the day that we remember that the only person That has ever walked this planet. That was able to predict his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Listen, without the resurrection, the story of Jesus is just a good story. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just a good teacher. Where there is no resurrection, we have no importance of the cross. Paul said, I care not to know but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hold up, brother. Just take a break for a minute. He said, I care not to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Meaning that when he died on the cross, he said it is finished. But how many knows the shedding of blood was finished, but the plan was not finished. Without the third day, the the three words on the cross would have just been three words of a historical nature that we would look back on a great godly man that proclaimed that something that he did was finished. But I got news for you. He paid the price on the cross, but when he came back from the dead, he gave us power to overcome the devil. Can I get somebody to help me? There is no resurrection without the cross. There is no cross without the arrest in the garden. There is no arrest in the garden without a Judas. I'm going to tell you all of it was laid out. The Bible said he was the lamb slain, Revelation 13, 8, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The entire plan that happened and culminated on that cross in those three days in that resurrection started before he ever even said, let there be light. Or did y'all, did y'all hear what I just said? It began. I've said it many times and I'll say it again. That some people believe that the battle was won on the cross. Some people believe the battle was born on the third day at the empty tomb. But I'm going to tell you that if you study it, you'll find that the battle, not the ultimate victory, but the battle that was going on in the mind and attacking the body of Jesus was not won on the cross. It was won in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was one when he was praying. It was one when he was seeking God. Oh, my goodness, y'all ain't hearing me. See, by the time he got to the cross, man, I know it was, it was just a sight that none of us would want to behold. I know that, that it was, was a shameful way for any man to die. I know his body was covered in blood from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. He was stripped naked in a shame, hanging up on, an all, on a cross for all to see. Crown of thorns on his head. Nails in his wrists and his feet. Spear in his side. But if you'll go back and read it, he never spoke judgment. He never, he never uh, seemed like he was in agony or, or talked so much about the agony and pain. By the time he got there, he had already gone through the agony and pain of that moment. Nobody killed Jesus. Nobody killed Jesus. Nobody murdered Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. It was part of the plan. He said, no greater love has any man than a man what? Lay down his life for his friend. I've often said one of my favorite scenes, if you can even say it that way because I feel weird to even say I have a favorite scene in the movie The Passion of the Christ because it is such a tough movie to watch. But the scene, the two scenes that are, that are the scenes that made the most impact on me. Number one was the scene when the soldier was driving the nail into the hands of Jesus. And they asked Mel Gibson, they said, this is the first movie that you've ever performed. Uh, uh, produced and developed uh, that you did not at least have a cameo in the movie. Why did were you not in the movie? He said, I was in the movie. They said, well we watched the movie and we didn't see you anywhere, even a Roman soldier, even a, somebody, the, a bystander. He said, oh no, I was in the movie. They said, what scene was it? He said, you know the scene where they showed the soldier's hand holding the nail and the, and the hammer that drove through it? He said, that was my hand and that was the hammer in my hand because the only scene I want to be in there is to recognize that I'm the one that put him on the cross it was my sins that he died for not that roman soldier and the other scene that i loved i believe it would have probably been like this is when jesus was almost completely out of out of strength and he fell and the cross fell and then he fell on top of the cross if you go back and watch it again you will see as the soldiers are tugging on him He looks up at the soldiers, doesn't say anything because he's so weak, but he makes eye contact. In other words, don't worry, I got this. And in the scene, he does his shoulders like this. He does his shoulders like this, and he climbs up on the cross while it's laying there and stretches his hands out. It says, do what you got to do. I got news for you. The strength to do that. Of course he's God. But when he died on the cross, he died as a man. He suffered as a man. But what could give a man strength to do that? It was in that garden. When he was praying, the Bible said that his sweat became as great drops of blood. What was he sweating about? What was he, why did he say, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, your will be done. People have preached and I have preached and I'm not doubting that it's not the case, but his body was to see the stripes, the 39 stripes, the nails, the crucifixion, the crown of thorns, the spear in his side, the spitting, the mocking, the slapping. He saw that coming, but I'm going to tell you something that hurt him. This is going to apply to many of you today. I believe that hurt him more than any nail ever hurt him, more than any crown of thorns ever hurt him. It was was because he knew at the base of that hill, in that garden, one of his closest friends, one of the people that he had called to walk by his side, a man named Judas that he had trusted was making his way up the hill to betray him, to turn his back on him. And he looked at Judas when he saw Judas in the garden. Go back and read it. He sees Judas coming. Judas kisses him, betrays him with a kiss. He says, the one that that you are here to arrest, you'll know him because I'll kiss him. But before he kissed him, go back and read it and see what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, it's okay. Go ahead and do what you come to do because it's got to happen. Now this ain't what I'm preaching today, but this is what I'm preaching right now. I got up this morning. It ain't even in my notes, but I felt like I needed to tell somebody in here that some of y'all been betrayed by Judas. Some of y'all have had a Judas turn on you. Some of you have had a Judas deceive you, tell you one thing and do another. You might have even been a Judas yourself, but I got news for you. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus died for Judas. Jesus came back from the dead for Judas, and I got news for you. If you've had a Judas betray you, the only thing that Judas really did, that's why he didn't stop him from doing what he did, is he was the catalyst that pushed Jesus beyond the garden so that he could make it to the cross. He said, I know if my own people can deceive me, if my own people can abandon me, then I, and I could still make it to the cross, that strength comes from God and God alone. So the only thing Judas has ever done to me is push me into my purpose. Come on, are you hearing me? Somebody say, if I had a Judas... He's going to push me into my purpose. First thing on your notes is this. You may need a Judas to push you into your purpose. You may need a Judas to push you into your purpose. Without the garden, there is no cross. Without the cross, there is no resurrection. Are you thankful that he went to the garden to pray? Oh, come on, church. Can you help me? Come on. I want him, Come on. You got to respond. I said, how many is thankful that he went to the garden to pray? Because he won the battle there. He crushed the devil's head. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Somebody say resurrection. The next thing you'll notice is this. Without the resurrection of Christ, Jesus was just a good teacher and a good story. Well, I'm about to preach now. See, this was this was, just, that was just something I had on my heart. Now I'm going to preach my message. Is that okay? Huh? See, I'm going to help you all out because some of you all going to Easter dinner, they're already cooking, they're already preparing for it. when you get there, you're going to get there right on time, just time to eat. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to put it on the screen, but I want you to see something, and I want you to underline a few things in your Bible on this Resurrection Sunday. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. Somebody say early. Now, here's the one you're going to underline or highlight in your Bible. While it was what? Still dark. Say it loud. While it was what? Still dark. Not like we portray it in the plays where we show them coming at sunrise. No, she got there while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciples, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, isn't it funny that John's writing about himself? He's trying trying to be humble. Y'all see that? he's trying. He don't want to say, and me and Peter took off running. He said, Peter took off running, and another disciple. He's talking about himself. But watch, watch how humble he really is not in just a minute. Whom Jesus loved. Watch that. He said, Peter come running, and then another one that Jesus really loved. <laughs> come on. And that was, that was him. He was right about himself. He's known as the beloved, John the beloved. Come on. He said, so, so Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and they went to the tomb. Now watch this. They, they went out to the tomb. And the Bible says in verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple John and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. Watch this humility here. They took off running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. He had to throw that in there. Jesus loved me and I'm faster runner than Peter. (laughs) I just, I see things like this. People don't see this in scripture sometimes. I see it. He said, I just want to let you know I outrun him. I know he's the rock and everything, but he's slow. And it said, John came to the tomb first. Now look at verse 5. And he stooping down, John, looked in and saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Why? Because of honor. He was waiting on Peter. Then Simon Peter came following him. There he took another dig at him one more time. He still just got there. I not only beat him, I done had time to look in there, come back out and wait on him. Come on. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. Now watch this. And he saw the linen cloths laying there, the burial cloth. Many call it the shroud. Verse 7 is the key. New King James says this. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, the KJV calls it a napkin. Everybody say napkin. That's what, see, it's a, we call it a handkerchief, but if you go to a nice restaurant, they got a cloth napkin, don't they? Made out of probably even thicker material than this. So, so the original word actually means napkin. It's called the face napkin. And the handkerchief of the napkin that had been around his head, watch this, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Mm. Then the other disciple who came in the tomb first now you got to get this went in also and when he saw what Peter saw he believed see when he looked in all he saw was the was the shroud he didn't go in far enough to see the napkin if the shrouds lay in there the way it was laying there, somebody could have come in and stole the body and just tried to get out of there quick and just threw the shroud there. But when he stuck his head in there and saw the shroud laying off to the side, not just the napkin laid over to the side by itself, but folded up neatly and laying by itself. He knew there ain't no way those thief who was running and feared the Roman Empire would take the time to fold the napkin. Come on, somebody. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Is anybody alive in here? When they saw the napkin, something changed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went their way and went into their homes. It's 1131 if you're taking medicine. I'm going to preach for 29 minutes. Is that okay? Somebody say, preach, preacher. Oh, by the way, to all our guests here today, man, we love you so much. I want you to know. Can we just show our guests one love one more time? And I hope you all come back next Sunday. But we would, you would bless us so much. Thank you for, for being with us today. But I want to show you something. I want to break this down. The first thing I want you to see is this. It says that when Mary arrived and the stone had been taken away, We preach about that, we preach about Peter, we preach about John, we preach about Peter being seeing Jesus, mistaking Jesus, another gospel tells that story. But we miss, I think, some of the most important things. One of the most important things is this, it was still dark. Somebody say it was still dark. See, you got to understand something. That's why we have a sunrise service. We don't have them, praise God. I ain't got none of, y'all, none of y'all show up for sunrise service. But that's why the church, other churches have sunrise service. I did a poll one year at our church. I said, how many? I was in the middle of a Holy Ghost service, David. I mean, people shouting me down. And right in the middle, I said, this is the perfect time to ask. I said, how many of y'all next year will come to a sunrise service? Raise your hand. Crickets. Crickets. I, I was like, okay, I get it. Because I ain't having one by myself. I ain't getting up on Easter morning and watching the sun come up by myself. I do that on my back porch. Come on. But that's why they have the sunrise services, because the celebration that happened when the moment of awareness happened it was just before the dawn, not at the dawn. It was still dark. Woo, can y'all hear me? See. How many know sometimes we got to go through some dark places? Sometimes we got to go through some places where it don't look like anything is happening. Oh, but I got news for you. And you need to get this in your spirit. The next thing on your notes is this God has always done his best work in the dark. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. Some of y'all would have shouted if y'all had got that. God does his best work in the dark. Mmm. Well, can I get somebody saved, man? Oh, yeah. Watch this. Let me, show, let me prove to you. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. You ain't got to turn there. We'll put it up on the screen. Genesis, the very first scripture in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. What's the word? next word? And what? Darkness was on the face of the deep. And in the midst of darkness. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. The Spirit of God began to move in the darkness. Oh, y'all hearing me. Y'all ain't hearing me. In the middle of the darkness, the Spirit of God began to move and began to hover in the midst of the darkness, in the face of the waters. And then God said, in the darkness, let there be light. And there was light. Now, see, some of y'all think it's a contradiction that on another day he made the sun. Well, how could he already make the light and then make the sun? You got to understand that first verse was not an actual literal darkness alone. It was a spiritual darkness. It was a darkness that had been created by the fall of Lucifer in sin. And he had to pierce it through the atmosphere. So he moved in the midst of the darkness of the rebellion of Lucifer himself. And he stood in the midst of all the darkness that Lucifer had created for him, his own little kingdom. Because how I many knows the devil likes to work in the dark? Am I good? Is this good preaching? Say amen. He said. And I'm gonna show you before I ever make the sun, before I ever make the moon, before I ever make the stars, I'm gonna step into the darkness and the void of space. And I'm gonna move in the darkness. I'm gonna show you something else. There's something powerful. Go back and read your Bible. We ain't got time to go over it today. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's time to start reading your Bible. Sometimes look at somebody else and say, You're gonna be a Christian, read your Bible. Huh? What's this? Right after he said, let there be light, after that he'd start creating the earth, don't he? Six days of creation, right? You with me, church? Go back and read your Bible because the Bible says he'd make something. He'd make the sky or he'd separate the firmament or he'd make the plants. Whatever it was that he was making on that day, at the end of that day, go back and read what it says. And the evening and the morning was the blank day. Notice it didn't say, "And I and I finished it. During the day. In other words, if you go back and read it in context, every day of creation was made and spoken to existence in the dark. Y'all didn't hear me. And when they came out and began to walk in their fulfillment of what the purpose for which God had created them to exist, they were revealed in the light. But they were created in the dark. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. God does his best work in the dark. Jesus' body laid in that tomb for three days. It wasn't just sealed with a stone. The Bible says out of fear that Pilate and others thought that someone would steal the body, they put Roman guards on the outside. But that wasn't even enough, Jim. You know what else they did? They sealed it with the seal of Pilate. You go back and study, it's not just a stamp. They took a tar substance, a, 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 a substance that dries, and they almost like what we would use as caulk, and they sealed all the way around the stone, and it would dry quickly on the same day because if anybody ever budged the rock even if they tried to get it open and they couldn't, it would crack the seam of that seal and they would know that the rock had been tampered with. Are y'all hearing me? So that means that inside that tomb where the body of the King of kings and the Lord of lords lay, there was not any way for light, natural or man-made, to penetrate that cave, that sepulcher. It was as dark as it could be. Is this good preaching? It almost reminds me of how when God. In the Old Testament, gave instructions to Moses and the Levites to build the temple, the tabernacle. And the Bible said when they got to the holy of holies, there was a veil that was placed there. Come on, the veil that separated the the outside world from where the glory would reside upon the ark of the covenant. And there's only one man that was permitted to go inside that place, and that was the high priest. Are you hearing me? Once a year, guess what time? At Passover. Mm, y'all ain't hearing me. And at Passover, he had to there was two there was two curtains i've often used this curtain as an example because that's about how high it would be but imagine two of these curtains it wasn't just one there was one curtain here and then there was another curtain identical this far apart why because right here in the inner court was where the table of showbread was where the candelabra was the menorah and there was man made light lit by oil so on the outside, in the outer court, was natural light. In the inner court was man-made light. So, so how many knows that it's dark right here behind this, but if I pull this curtain back, the light that is in here penetrates where it was dark. Are you with me? So they put a second curtain so that because God's not going to share his glory with anybody. Man-made or natural. Oh, I'm preaching better than you shout. So the priest, once a year at Passover, had to pull the first curtain back, and he had to stand between two curtains, and he had to wait for this curtain to completely stop moving so that no natural or man-made light could penetrate the second curtain. And then when we peel the second curtain back, and he would walk into a room where the Ark of the Covenant was, it was completely pitch black dark. Somebody shout, God does his best work in the dark. Standing in the middle of the dark, I want you to get this. There was the high priest. He had a branch, what's called a hyssop branch, that he had dipped in the blood of a spotless lamb. Oh, get this and see where I'm going. And in the midst of darkness, he's standing there. He's praising God and he's slinging blood. He's slinging blood towards the altar. And while he's slinging blood in the midst of darkness, he begins to hear something. He begins to hear somebody coming in the room. Are y'all hearing me? And the in the in the Jewish talmud the writings of the priests. many priests said, they, they they recorded in the Talmud that it sounded like a man breathing. It sounded like a man running towards them in the midst of pitch, pitch black dark. And they're looking around who is that that I hear breathing? And it was the presence of God. It was the glory of God that would come in and sit down. Oh y'all ain't hearing me. On the mercy seat of the altar. And the room would go from pitch black dark to complete light. So much so that if the priest wasn't right with God, he'd be struck dead. And he'd have to be drug out by a rope tied to his ankle. Somebody say God does his best work at the dark. See, on the outside, when the priest went in, they didn't know nothing, they didn't look like nothing was happening. Because they didn't have access. They couldn't see in there. In fact, the priest himself couldn't see anything. I'm telling you, I've been in some times in my life, I've been in some dark places in my life where I could not see my way out. I don't care how, can I be real with y'all this morning? I don't care how much scripture I read, I don't care what worship songs I put on, I don't care how many preachers I called, I don't care how many altar calls I went to, I could not shake the darkness. Has anybody ever been there? But the one thing you don't want to do when you're in a place like that and you realize it's a spiritual darkness, you don't want to try to find a light that you light by yourself. Huh? Because whatever light switch you find will only be able to light within the ability of that bulb. But when the glory light comes on, it not only lights you, it lights the couch. It lights the darkness under the couch. It lights the darkness behind the couch because there is no shadow of turning. Huh? Somebody shout, God does his best work in the dark. Is this good Easter preaching? Oh, yeah. Some of y'all pick it up and just wipe that sweat off and just set it back down. Next thing on your notes is this. It was in the darkness of the tomb that Jesus was working. See, when you are the way in the light, you don't need somebody to turn the light on. Huh? Huh? If we'd have been in that room, we'd need somebody to turn the light on. He don't need nobody to turn the light on. He said, I am the way. I am the light. Well, it's good preaching. This is a three-hanky day for me, praise God. What was he doing, Pastor? What was he doing? Was he just walking around there just singing praise to himself? For three days, ooh, they don't know, but I'm alive in here. I'm just going to make them wait because three days make them really think that I ain't coming back but I hear y'all out there y'all just don't know what's going on in here I'm alive no no for three days in pitch black darkness his body lay in that tomb oh but Jesus was not in that tomb oh Listen, I gotta give honor to the man of God, Pastor Kenneth Scott. His family's here today. What a family. We just, we just come on. Just Good Friday. Right here, we celebrated a general. But I told them, and they all knew because let me tell you something. If you couldn't preach to that bunch, even on a day like that, you need to get out of the business. They were, they were, they had been trained by a general, a man of God, that you, that he wasn't here. We honored him. We 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 worshiped God, but we knew he was not here. He was with the Lord. Our bodies may still be here when we breathe our last breath, but I got news for you. I like that t- time I heard that person say, uh, if you hear, if somebody puts, it was a preacher that said, when you see the headline that I have died, he said, don't believe it. It's the biggest fake news that's ever happened because the moment I breathe my last breath here on this earth, I'm more alive than I've ever been. Oh! I'm more alive than I've ever been because I'm with my Jesus. It's eternal. Don't believe it. It's fake news. Slapping every time, quit believing fake news. And I'm not talking about on the news. I'm I'm talking about when the people try to tell you that God ain't real. When the people try to tell you it don't make sense. It don't make sense. It's fake news, baby. 2,000 plus years, people are still. There's no way something fake and made up would have Billions of people all over the world 2,000 years later today praising God for the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. i got to hurry. What was he doing, Pastor? Ephesians, 9 verses, excuse me, Ephesians 4, verses 9 through 10 says this. Now this, he ascended. How many of those, somebody said that's Jesus? We're talking about Jesus. He ascended. What does it mean? But that he also, watch this, first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one that ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Well, while darkness filled the tomb, Jesus was walking in the spiritual darkness himself he walked into hell the bible said during those three days jesus left that tomb the real jesus the word of god that was made flesh and dwelt among us went down into hell go read your bible and the bible said he took the keys of death hell and the grave well i wish i thought i would had somebody get excited about that he made an open show of the devil he kicked open the gates of hell and said take me to your leader well, let me tell you something. What kind of man would I be if I invited you over my house to watch a movie? And you got to my house and I'm standing out in front of my house. And, and you say, well, I'm here. Let's go in. And I, you, we're here at your house. You invited me to your house. It's got your name on the mailbox. Got your name. A big old R on the side. I guess that's for raggling. This must be your house. Let's go on in because you're the man of the house. What kind of man would I be if I look back at you and say, well, I ain't got no key." I gotta wait for Sandy to get home to let me in, huh? You gonna look at me and say, "What kind of man are you?" I don't think you know kind of man that you can't you can't even be trusted with keys to your own house. Some of y'all scared to death of a devil that ain't even got keys to his own house. Y'all scared of a devil that ain't even got keys. Next time the devil start trying to mess with you, just get your keys out. Just said, well, at least I got keys. You stupid, toothless, imitation lion. Some of y'all fixed. The Bible said he's like a lion. He ain't a lion. This ain't, this ain't the devil, y'all. We ain't got this up to tell you that the devil's like a lion that goes about seeking whom he made of ours. No, this is because of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus. See, Jesus, you don't want to mess with that line. But the lion that's like a lion called the devil, he ain't even got his dentures in. Jesus knocked his teeth out, but some of y'all still being gummed to death. I gotta hurry. Show me all like, I'm going to grandma's today, pastor. She's got that coconut cake or whatever. Don't you make my cousin get that before me. Hurry up. While darkness filled the tomb, Jesus was in hell, taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Woo! Are y'all hearing me? Now, I gotta tell you something. Not only that, he went to this place called Abraham's Bosom, where all the Old Testament saints went. That's why you hear the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You know, rich man, you know, he dies, he's buried. But Lazarus is in a place called Abraham's bosom where all the saints that believed in God in the Old Testament reside. Jesus walking. Can you imagine? Walking in. And there's David. There's Moses. There's Noah. There's Adam. Come on, are you hearing me? There's Ruth. There's Esther. And he walks in. Everybody's like, there's something different about this guy. He's like, y'all don't even know. Hey, David, when you preached about the suffering, the suffering Messiah. What? What? I mean, next thing you know, everybody in there goes, it's him, it's him, it's him. And they said, wait a minute. Then he stopped and he goes, wait a minute. All you guys are cool, but I got somebody I need y'all to meet. Come here, buddy. And it was the thief on the cross sitting next to him. Come on. Because he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Come on. The first Christian, the first Christian was the thief on the cross. But now watch this. While all that's happening, right before he goes down, he gets up. I don't need these grave clothes anymore because they don't know what's going. Watch, watch this. all of this is in the dark, in the natural dark. takes it off, up, takes off the linen, what we would call the, the prayer shawl, the, the shroud. he lays the shroud down. and then when they would lay him, when they would lay the dead down, they would put coins on their on their eyes and different spices and stuff, and then they would take what's known as a napkin. Some versions say handkerchief. And they would lay it on his head like this, separate from the shroud. Because the head is separate. The head is to be honored. But now, you've got to get this. Mm. There's something you've got to understand about Eastern culture. And I have several pastor friends who have experienced this in Jerusalem personally. If you go to a meal in Jerusalem, well, excuse me a second. Thank you, Father. There's holy flags laying everywhere back here. Praise God. You go to a meal, and you're sitting there, and you're eating in Eastern culture. Now, they don't all do it anymore, but this would have been a custom at that time. Some of them still do it, especially when you eat with dignitaries and people of significance. And you're eating, your, your handkerchief, your napkin is there, and you're just eating away. And the, the servant or the waiter stands and watches. This is the culture. Watches you eat because the greatest insult that you could ever do in an Eastern culture is to not eat the food that's on your plate. So when you go on a mission trip, better ask God to help you eat the stuff. Don't ask what it is. Just eat it. Then on the way back home on the plane, say, hey, what did I eat? And they'll tell you, well, you ate uh, cockroach dipped in chocolate. Come on. Now, the culture says it this way, that when you get through eating, you wipe your face and you wad up your napkin and you throw it down your plate and you walk away, it is a sign, listen to me, to the waiter, that you are through, you are gone, he can come and clean your plate. But the culture teaches, and he's watching your every move, that after you finish your plate and it looks like you're done, and you wipe your mouth, y'all think y'all know, y'all, I think some of y'all know where I'm going. Watch this. And then they wipe their mouth and they fold up the napkin very nicely. And place it next to their plate. And get up and leave. Go to the restroom or somewhere else. The servant will never move. He will not touch your plate. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Because the sign of the folded napkin is, I might look like I'm finished, but I'm about to be right back. Come on. Some of y'all, some of y'all, some of y'all, y'all, y'all. I thought some of y'all get up on your feet when you realize that Jesus understood the culture. He folded up the napkin and set it aside by himself. God, somebody praise him. Somebody praise him. Now, wait a minute. Sit down. Sit down. Remember, John looked in. He saw the grave clothes. Stepped back out and just waited on Peter. Peter went all the way in and started shouting. When John went in to see what Peter looked, the Bible says, and when he saw the napkin, not just, wait a minute, mate, watch, this, is, this is what you can't miss. Setting aside from the linen. Not just happened to be folded up on top of the shroud, but somebody took the time to walk to the other side of the tomb. To make sure that it was very, very obvious. What he was doing. Can somebody shout amen? The next thing on your notes, and I'm almost through, is when Jesus folded the napkin in the tomb, he was stating, it ain't over, baby. Oh, I'll do my best work in the dark. I'll be back. Huh? Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't the first one to say that. The Terminator wasn't the first one to say that. It ain't the last one to say that. Guess what somebody told me today? I'm the Serminator, baby. <laughs> I'm the Serminator. And next week, I'll be back. See, I want you to know something this morning. It ain't over. It wasn't over then and it ain't over now. Oh, come on. Come on. Last thing on your notes is this. In the darkness of, life, of our life, Jesus is working on our behalf. Jesus is working. He didn't stop working just, he didn't just work during the three days in the tomb. When he came back. And he walked out. Remember, he said, all things in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And now I give them to you. Praise God. These things shall you do if I go to my Father. Well, some of y'all need to come back. Oh, somebody needs to get some stuff back that the devil took from you. Now, I ain't trying to brag on myself. I ain't not trying to make anybody feel bad that you wasn't here to help me. But don't think for a moment that just because we didn't have Family Fest yesterday that I had the day off. I was here at 6.30 and I worked at this building until 8.30 last night. 24,600 steps by the time I got in my bed on the day that you thought I got the day off. We worked all day preparing for this moment. I come in this house by myself at about 6 o'clock. I turn all the lights by myself and I begin to pray and I begin to say, God, tomorrow we need a comeback. We need to know that you didn't just come back back then. We need you to show us you're still the God of the comeback. We need you, God. We need you to bring some stuff back that we thought we had lost forever. I need my stuff back. I need my kids back. I need my grandkids back. I need my house back. I need my joy back. I need my peace back. Oh, we need our country back. Can I get an amen? We need our families back. So you know what I did? Every single handkerchief that you see sitting on your seat today was in the hands of your pastor last night by himself. I walked to every seat, and I said, I need to come back in Jesus' name. We need to come back in Jesus' name. We need to come back in Jesus' name. It took me an hour and a half, an hour a little, little less than an hour and a half, to fold, because it didn't come folded, to fold every single handkerchief and speak Jesus' name over every single one. And every time I put it down, we need to come back in Jesus' name. We need to come back in Jesus' name. I want you to know something. It may look like a simple handkerchief, but it's more than that today. Number one, because your pastor prayed over it, it's a prayer cloth. Oh! Oh! The Bible said, Paul... Used to be preaching, and while he's preaching, they'd bring handkerchiefs, they'd bring napkins, and they'd pin him to the body of Paul. And while he was preaching, the anointing would be so powerful that the anointing would transfer into those prayer cloths. And the Bible said the sick, the family members would come and get him off of Paul and take him back home and lay him on the sick and lay him on the dying, and miracles would happen. And people would sit up. They'd stick him up under pillars. Of people, kids who backslidden could slide it up under their car seat slide it up under their pillow Stick it somewhere where they don't know about it. And then all of a sudden they're going to start acting weird. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen time and time again. I don't know. I just feel like I've been having dreams, daddy. I don't know why. I can't sleep at night. I've been having dreams. And I'm trying to act all cool. I'm trying to say, well, praise God. Let me pray for you. She's like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, I know what's going on. If you just checked your pillowcase, I know what, because I put it there. Twelve oh one. Here's what we're gonna do. Everybody, grab your prayer cloth and stand. Everybody, grab your napkin. Stand to your feet. Come on, grab one. If you don't have one, we got some extras. I think in the back. If you don't have one, everybody needs one. Everybody needs one. Hold them up, all over this house. Come on, I want you to look around. I want you to look around. Everybody, just make take the time. Take a few seconds to look around. Take a few seconds to look around and see this crowd. Every one of those napkins represents something that's about to come back. Every one of these napkins that's being held up represents restoration, represents healing, represents grandkids and kids coming back to Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hold it up and say, Jesus, you led by example. When you folded the napkin, as I hold this napkin up, I declare in the name of Jesus, the napkin is still folded. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. See, wait a minute. You didn't hear it. Hold it up. Hold it up. We have no record of anybody unfolding the napkin. Because it didn't just mean I'll be back in three days. Gee, the Bible said When he ascended up to heaven, the same angel that told him, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Said, Why stand you gazing, watching him disappear? For in like manner, as you see him go away, he shall come again. Hallelujah. Jesus, wave it. Wave it. Somebody shout, Jesus is coming back. Now take it in your hand because you're anointed. All over this house, this is what you're going to do. I want you to take this napkin home with you today. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute for those that need to give their life to Jesus. But everybody, lost, backslidden, on fire for God, anybody that needs a comeback, I want you to take it, and I want you to go home, and I want you to get a marker or a pen. And I want you to write some people's names. I want you to write some things that the devil stole from you. Write it on this resurrection napkin. And fold it up. Mm, Come on somebody. Find you a place... That's a, that's a place where it's going to be safe. A place that you need to be reminded. It might need to be where you shave or where you fix your hair. It might need to be pinned to your radio, your dash of your car. Wherever you need it to be, fold it up. It don't matter how tight you fold it up. Just fold it up with all that stuff rolled on it and put it somewhere. So that from this day forth, you every time you see it, it's a reminder. Praise God. The napkin is folded. That means everything. Everything that I've claimed in the name of Jesus is coming back in this life. Praise God. Somebody shout, I'll be back.